Good morning, junior hires. How are you guys doing this Thursday morning? Very nice. Still not an answer, just a noise, but I'm glad you guys are excited. Okay. Thursday. I was talking uh, to a few people this morning, and I was like, you know, I feel like Wednesday sometimes gets a bad rap. I feel like Thursday sometimes you're like the groggiest, like zombie version of yourself trying to figure out, oh man, we're so late in the week, but still having a wonderful time, and still we get an opportunity to dig back into God's word. And so, do you guys remember what letter we are in in the mornings this week? First John, very nice. Go ahead and turn there if you haven't already done so. We are in First John chapter 2, picking up right where we left off yesterday. And this is our shortest chunk of scripture for all of our morning sessions. We're only going First John 2, 3 through Six, so four verses, but man, there's a lot packed into here. So we have been asking this question all week. Let's ask this together. Keep waking up this Thursday morning. Ready, one, two, three. How can we know that we're riding for the brand? And what's amazing is that God's word actually gives us the answer to this question. Over and over again, consistently throughout his word, we can see, and especially in 1 John, we can see that God's word gives us answers on how our lives should look, what we should be believing if God truly has saved us, if God really has saved us from our sins. And I love that we sang only a holy God this morning. That's a perfect jumping off point for just a refresher yesterday as we we talked about Uh, the gospel, and really it's so important for us to understand the gospel, that is the part we have to understand if we're writing for the brand, if God has saved us, we have to get the gospel right. We have to get the gospel right, and it starts with the holiness of God, God being so completely holy, which that word means separate. God is separate, one, from sin, completely and totally separate from sin, and then also there is only one creator. There's creator, creation. He is so utterly, completely separate as the only creator, but then through the person and the work of Jesus Christ, through his perfect life, his saving death, and his bodily resurrection, he has provided and he has saved and will save his people from their sins, this people called the church. And then that results, that's not just a one-time thing, we talked about this yesterday, results in walking in light, walking in light, which means walking in the truth of God's word and walking in Goodness, walking in righteousness, this will affect how we live, what we believe. This will, as we talked about yesterday, the spirit, when God fills us with his spirit at salvation, we will grow in understanding the truth. And then we will also grow in Christ-like action. We will deny, or sorry, we will confess our sin instead of denying the fact that we are sinners. We will 
grow in, and again, we're not gonna do this perfectly, but we will grow in dealing with sin and seeing our sin as breaking the law of our holy, perfect creator God. And if we have been saved, we will see it as breaking the law of the Father who loves us. And then we talked about how Jesus Christ, he is the advocate. He is also the propitiation. The propitiation, wow, that's a tough word on a Thursday. Propitiation, porky pig version. Propitiation, Christ being the full satisfaction of God's justice for us. We earned death in our sin and Christ dies that death and then says, I also live perfectly according to the law of God and I give my people that perfection. And so then how does a true Christian live is what we're getting into today. So we talked about how the gospel should affect us and we talked about a little bit of how that will cause us to live, but we're gonna dig in more to this question, how does a true Christian live? And I mentioned this yesterday, but a lot of you guys will know this, Galatians 5, through 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is, same with me, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. That's right. This is, big picture, how a true Christian lives or should be growing. We talked about the, the fruit tree, right? Bananas are not going to grow on an orange tree, and orange tr- oranges are not going to grow off of a banana tree. So, if a Christian is a tree, this is the fruit. And a preacher that I really love and admire said, the word fruit is just fruit. It's not fruits. This is a package deal. It's not like, well, I'm really good at kindness, and I'm going to dial that in, and then uh, I just, no self-control for me. No, thank you. That's not how this works. It's a package deal. The fruit of the Spirit is this, this is what the Spirit will produce in us, but we have to walk in it by his power. This isn't where the Holy Spirit just takes control of our bodies and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm righteous, doing righteous stuff, all right. We have to do it by his power. This isn't magic, this is hard. It's, there's a reason, self-control is a part of the fruit of the Spirit, means controlling ourselves. Not, not by our power, by the power of the Holy Spirit. But here we go. Let's get into our text. 1 John 2, 3 through 6. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Like I said, shorter passage this morning, but as you guys are taking notes, number one, keeping his commandments. And we'll study verses three and four. Keeping his commandments. And then number two, keeping his word. Verses five through six, keeping his word. All right, let's get into verse three. 
John continues this letter, and he says, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Remember what John is dealing with in this group of churches he's writing to. There's so much confusion. These false teachers are saying that they know God, and yet they they are even saying some of the right things. They're saying words like Jesus, like gospel, like God, but they mean often very, very, very different things. And so there's so much confusion. And so John, he uses a lot of these phrases where he's gonna make it very, very clear. How do we know that we have come to know him? And we could understand it this week. How do we know that we are riding for the brand? You wanna know a surefire way? If we keep his commandments. Now this might send our minds to the 10 commandments. Right When we think commandments, sometimes we immediately go back to Exodus 20, think boom, 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 boom. And that actually, that's, that's actually a good thing. This is a part of that. Our minds kind of should go back to the Ten Commandments in a way. This is what the whole law and all of the rest of God's commands are built on. But this is also talking about all of God's commands in the Bible that apply to his church, to his people that he saves through Christ. So that might lead us to a couple questions. You might be like, all of them? Uh, The Bible's huge. We're in 1 John, and I don't know about you guys, but my Bible has 1 John on page 1021. I feel like there's a lot of commands in that many pages, right? So you might be like, the Bible's huge, so if I don't keep every single one of those commands that apply to God's people, the church, am I not a Christian? Has God not saved me if I'm not absolutely nailing this? And number two, maybe the, the second question is, if I don't obey God's commands perfectly, If I don't keep them all perfectly, am I not a Christian? Well, I think the key is we're actually going to flash a little bit forward in 1 John 3, 7 through 8. John is going to clarify this a little bit. He says, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he, God, is righteous. Then verse eight, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So here's the key. We can't keep God's commands perfectly. Let me go ahead and let you off the hook. We already talked about this yesterday. James 3.2 says it very clearly that we all stumble and he's talking about believers, we all stumble in many ways, but, but what this should lead us to, and I'm so appreciative of how God has John write this letter, because he clarifies this, what is the practice of my life, or what is the pattern of my life? Is my life, have I made a practice of righteousness, living in obedience to God's commands, Or is the regular pattern of my life disobeying God's commands? Do I love, as David in the Psalms loves the commandments of the Lord, even though I don't obey them perfectly? 
was the practice and the pattern of my life, disobedience. That's a really important question for us to be able to answer. And then also, we talked about yesterday how really when John says in, in, in 1 John 1, 9, if we sin, we could say, when we sin, if we confess, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So another question, another helpful question, on top of that first question, what is the practice and the pattern? What is regular in my life? A second good question would be, when I sin, when I break God's commandments, commands in scripture, what is my response? What is my response? What's next when I sin? Because we're going to. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 7, 8 through 10 here. Paul, he writes 1 Corinthians and he is super harsh with this church, uh, this church in a city called Corinth. There was stuff going on in Corinth that we don't even begin to have time to get into. But uh, he writes this first letter and it is very harsh. He's having to correct them on so many things. And so then he kind of follows this up in 2 Corinthians and addresses that. And he says, for even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. Now look at this. Verse 9. As it is, rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So what is my response when I sin? Do I have a godly grief? I asked this question yesterday. Does it bother you when you break God's commands. Is the spirit in us, are we, when we're, if we've truly been saved, we're truly riding for the brand, is there anything in us that goes, ah, man, I know God's commands are for my good. Ah, I hate that I broke his law. Is there anything like that? And then Walking in repentance, and I briefly touched on it yesterday, repentance is if this is the way that I'm headed towards my sin, I go like this and walk in the opposite direction. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I stop heading towards my sin and move away from sinfulness. Do I have a godly grief by the power of the Holy Spirit to move from sin, to move away from it, to get away from it. And then there's another part of this. What is my response when I break God's commands? When I sin, 1 John 1, 9, we'll go back to it. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then James 5, 16 says this. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. We see a, first in 1 John 1, 9, we see a confession to the Lord. My first confession, my first recognition that I have sinned should be, God, I, I see in your word, where, man, I was, I was 
I let my anger get out in front of me and I'm so sorry. I, I, I looked at that stuff on the internet that, ah, I know, I know that's wrong. I know that's lust and I gave in. I, I know, I know that Xbox belongs to Cody, but man, I want that Xbox. Lord, please forgive me. Do I go to the Lord first and recognize to him, open, openly to him, recognizing that I have broken his commands? And then James 5.16, am I taking my sin to brothers and sisters in Christ? Am I asking for help from my brothers and sisters, opening up to my brothers and sisters in Christ? And hopefully... Guys, you've, you've got men in your life that you can go to. Girls, hopefully you've got women, godly women you can go to in your life. Preferably, if your parents are believers, they're your first spot. God has given them to disciple you primarily in your life. Go to them first. If they are believers, go to your parents. I know that might be weird. I don't know what kind of relationship you have with your parents. But if they're believers, please go to them first. And then go to trusted brothers, guys. Go to trusted sisters, girls, with your sin. What is sure proof? What is sure proof that I am writing for the brand, that I truly do know God, obedience to his word by the power of the Holy Spirit, that that is the regular pattern of my life, that that is the regular practice of my life, Obedience is the very best way to know that what? Yeah, all right. I was hoping, I, see, I didn't grow up with that song. I grew up with, uh, I grew up Pentecostal, so we, we had a different song for that. Um, but uh, I'm so glad that that was caught. Um, wonderful. But it is. Obedience demonstrates that we believe. I, I used the example yesterday. You guys are sitting in these chairs. You demonstrated your belief that the chair would hold you up by sitting in it. You were like, oh man, I don't know. I was looking at those legs earlier. You guys sat down. What demonstrates that we truly believe and trust in God is obeying his word. As we trust that God, his commands are for our good, that's how we trust. Then in verse four, Whoever says, I know him, we, we know this guy, We've been John has been talking about this guy all week, right? It's the guy who says, yeah, I know God, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. That is some strong language, but we talked about it yesterday where John said that we actually deceive ourselves the human heart is so deceitful, Jeremiah 17, 9, desperately sick, who can know it? And then, not only do we deceive ourselves, but we are a liar if we say we know God, but we don't make the regular practice of our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit walking in the light, walking in righteousness. Think about when your parents because if God is our Father, if we truly have been saved by God, if God is our Father, think about when your parents ask you to do something around the house, and you're like, nah. Do your parents feel like, oh, 
They love me so much, oh my. Did you hear that? how they said naw? Did you hear that? Oh, I just feel so loved. No, that's not how it goes, right? The same it is with our heavenly Father. If we say we have no sin, or we say we know him and we do not keep his commandments, we are being like when we disobey our parents and don't show them love by obeying them, which is a part of the Ten Commandments, which is the commandment with a promise, which is that it will go well with you in the land. It's more for Israel at that time. But I tell you, it will go better with you with your parents if you obey than when you don't obey, right? But if we say we love our parents, but we don't obey them, we don't listen to them, do we, actually, do we actually love them? Man, I, th- I think about, especially when I was like starting to get into high school, the, the arguments that I would get in with, with my parents. Like, I, I, you guys probably noticed that I, I tend to talk a little bit. Um, well, in high school, I would just get into like knockdown, drag out, three hour arguments with my parents. No, that's not what, I, that, I, I'm not gonna do that. Hours, hours, hours. I don't think at the end of that they were like, I think Taylor really loves us, you know? I think, that, uh, I think that he is, that's just his way of expressing his gratitude for our parenting. I think him arguing with us until 3.30 in the morning, I think that's just his way, you know? That's not the case. We demonstrate our love for our parents by obeying. John, or is going to say in, in 1 John 3.24, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. This word abides means to basically make a home with. How do you know somebody is making their home with God or that God has made their home if the spirit really is living inside of them? Keeping his commandments by the power of his spirit. The one who doesn't keep God's commands demonstrates that they have no trust in God because they do not know him. And so again, like the, like the guy who says that he's a professional archer and heads to the zip line, having no clue what archery is, he can say whatever he wants, but his actions give him away. Our actions give us away. Whatever we believe, whatever we truly believe will show up in our actions. So if we do not believe God, we do not believe in his word, that will show up. It will give us away. At the same time, if we truly have been saved, we will grow in obedience by the power of his spirit. So how can we apply some of this? Ask yourself the question, Is the regular pattern of my life obedience to God's word or disobedience? That's a serious question. This is literally saying and being honest about if if I'm not seeing this as a regular pattern in my life of obeying God's commands, then it is entirely possible that I have not been saved by God. And it is actually more likely, that's what John is saying, is this, if this is not the regular pattern of your life, you have not been saved by God. And that is, sounds harsh, but it, that is something we've got to come to terms with. That's gotta be a reality for us. 
that if this has no bearing, no shaping of how we live our lives, we have to come to the reality. I don't know God. If I'm not obeying him, I do not know him. And then number two, we need to check our attitude toward God's commands. I want you to see this real quick in, in Psalm 119. Look at David's attitude. Psalm 119, 129 through 131. He says, your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant like panting if I'm super thirsty is what he's saying, because I long for your commandments like a cool drink of water. Do we have that kind of attitude toward God's commands or when we hear God's commands, especially when it has to do with our sin, what's our, what's our response? What's our attitude? Is it like, ooh, I don't like that at all. I don't think I'm gonna do that. And is that how we're walking? Or do we, when we hear God's commands, even if it's painful at first. Because a lot of times, guys, nobody likes to be corrected. I don't like to be corrected. But if I don't come to a place where I'm repenting and confessing of my sin, and I don't get to a place where I remember again this, that God's testimonies are wonderful, that his commandments satisfy me like somebody who is mad thirsty, if I don't come to that place, I have to check my attitude towards God's commandments. Let's get into number two, keeping his word, verses five and six. John continues, he says, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Now, John has been talking about keeping God's commandments. This can kind of be like, John, didn't you just say this? Didn't you just say something about keeping God's commandments? But he's actually, he uses this word, he uses the word, word, very intentionally, and he expands this idea out from keeping God's commands, which is absolutely included in keeping God's word, but he expands it out and this is also, it's, it's more, it's not less than keeping God's commands, but it is more than keeping God's commands in that if we keep his word, then the teachings of the Bible, the teachings of scripture, become the lens through which we see and understand everything around us. Does that make sense? It's like putting on a pair of glasses. Think about how different the world looks like before sunglasses to after. Really big difference, right? Suddenly it's like, okay, everything's dark. Some of you guys choose to wear sunglasses inside and I don't understand that and I'm not gonna pretend to understand it. But you, I guess, you know, do it as long as you're not running into stuff. Uh, but keeping God's word means that God's word has gotten into my mind and my heart so much that it affects how I see and understand everything. And so then it starts to make more and more sense the longer I'm a believer to obey God's commands because I see the alternative. I see what the world is like. And that is making less and less sense to me because they say stuff like a ball of stuff exploded and created the universe and nobody can tell me where the ball came from. They said it might be aliens, but they can't even tell me where the aliens came from. That's crazy. 
does God's word change how we see things? I want you guys to see this from Romans 12 too. Paul says this, Some, many of you will know this, do not be conformed to this world or do not let the world form you into its image, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern or be able to tell what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is what the effect of the word of God should be having on our minds. It should be transforming our minds by it being renewed day in and day out. And we talked about yesterday how we're born dead in our sins, we're born slaves to sin, and so the way we think and the way we reason, just read Romans 1, and that'll give you a very clear picture of how sin affects the mind and thinking. And Paul says, don't be conformed to the world. Don't let it press you into its mold, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that you can tell, you can discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The word of God should be changing our mind changing the way that we think, changing the way that we understand the world. We should understand it through this, not through our own sinful minds, not through the sinful world around us. And then look at this. We're back in Psalm 119 real quick. Your word is a what? Lamp to my feet and a what? Light to my path. And that works so well with the pictures that John gives us that walking in falsehood and sin is what is darkness and the world is filled with darkness. Again, the, the world after sin came into the world in Genesis 3 gets plunged into this darkness. How do we see our way through? How do we make sense of it? God's word. The creator speaks to all that we could possibly need to find our way through this world. No, this will not teach you how to do brain surgery. Please do not read the Bible and then go think you can perform brain surgery, all right? I'm telling you, right now, do not, Taylor told us at junior high, can't, no, I don't, want it, I don't want those reports. It will not teach you how to do brain surgery or rocket surgery, whatever they're calling that, right? But it will give us everything pertaining to life and godliness. It will help us make sense of life because the creator of the universe actually knows how the thing works. The creator of a watch is gonna know better how a watch works than I do who owns no watches, okay? The creator of the universe is going to, by his word, give us a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And then also, it's really important to note, Paul, or John says the word here that in him, the one who keeps God's word, truly the love of God is perfected. Now this doesn't mean I can now, I'm just gonna go love perfectly, I'm gonna nail it, never make a mistake in how I love. That's not what this, that's not how he's using this word. What John is not teaching is that suddenly we're just, if, if some of you guys know 1 Corinthians 13, it's like nailed it, nailed it, nailed it, nailed it, nailed it. That's not what he's saying. We, we all stumble in many ways. We will keep growing into the image of Christ, 
but we can't, we're not going to love perfectly. That's not what he's saying. For a little clarity, we'll fast forward a little bit further into 1 John. Or sorry, I meant to put that earlier. My bad. Okay, we'll go to 1 John 4.12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Now, what John is saying is that this word perfected or this, this word perfect is whoever is living this out is showing God's love out into the world. God's love is demonstrated through us as we live according to his word. This is how God show the main way that God shows his love to the world is through the church living according to his word, keeping his word and keeping his commandments. By keeping his word, the true Christian demonstrates that he knows and loves God and God is putting, using this, the Christian to put his love on display in the world. That's what it means to have the love of God perfected in us, to shine through us. As we keep God's commandments and as we keep his word, we stand on the truth in love to a lost and dying world and God shows his love through us as we share the gospel, as we live more and more like Christ. That's what it means to have the love of God perfected in us. Verse six, whoever says he abides in him, in God, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. If we say that we know God, that we've made our home with God, that we've, we are abiding in God and God is abiding with us, if we're making that claim, then our life should be looking more like Christ. Doesn't that just naturally make sense? If he is the one who's done all this work, if his image is the one that we're being transformed and conformed to, it does make sense that we should be looking more and more like him. And that's what John says. We, should, we ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Now that leads us to a question. How did Jesus walk? Well, there are a few main keys to how Jesus walked. One, we talked about this verse yesterday, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him, God the Father, made him the Son who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus knew no sin, which means he walked in perfect obedience. So if you get into the habit, and we all can tend to do this, get in the habit of comparing ourselves to each other and going, at least I'm not like Cody, Right? Cody, I'm not, I'm just, is he here? I'm not, I'm just using the name, right? It could be any Cody, not just Cody Huber. But if I'm, if I'm using Cody as my standard and maybe Cody isn't walking as he should, then I can feel like really prideful about myself. I'm like, I'm crushing it compared to Cody. Are you kidding me? This guy over here? But on the other hand, if I don't feel like I'm killing it and Cody's over here and I'm like, oh man, wow, Cody is... He's like the perfect Christian. I've never seen the guy make a mistake. I feel awful about myself. If we get into this, which we all can tend to do, get in the habit of comparing ourselves to one another, we're either going to live in pride or we're going to live in total sadness and defeat that we can never 
live up to the people around us. But Jesus is the standard. Perfect obedience is the example. Now, that doesn't mean we can't learn from other believers. We should. The the scripture talks about this. We should be learning from those who have walked ahead of us. Read Titus 2. We should be learning from those who are older than us and more mature in the faith. But if we're just comparing ourselves and saying that, well, I'm either better or worse than they are, we lose the fact that Christ needs to be our first example. He has lived and walked in perfect obedience to God's commands. Now, that feels defeating. But also part of how Jesus walked is he taught that he was the way, the truth, and the life. Not a way, not a truth, not a life, but the way, the truth, and the life. Our world hates this message. They like Jesus as like a, 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 like a nice guy, like a good teacher. But if you're ever in a conversation with somebody and you bring up the fact that Jesus is God and said he was God and proved he was God, that conversation tends to take a little bit of a different turn. Jesus walked in claiming that he is the way. He walked in proclaiming the gospel. And the gospel gives us the greatest hope, because if we're just saying, I have to be perfect like Jesus, but Jesus doesn't give me his perfection and give me his spirit to walk in the way, the truth, and the life, man, I am stuck dead in my sins. We talked about that yesterday. So Jesus walked perfectly according to God's commands. We should be growing in our obedience to God's commands after his example We should be growing and teaching that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life in teaching the gospel, sharing the gospel, and then also Jesus walked in the greatest form of love. John 15, 13, and Ephesians 5, 25 both tell us, and Jesus says in John 15, 13, no greater love has anyone than this, than he should give himself up or give his life up for his friends, lay his life down for his friends. And then Ephesians 5.25 says that Jesus loved like that to the church. He gave himself up for her. And so we follow the example of Christ. We walk as he walked in giving ourselves up for one another. Do I consider the interests and other people as more important than myself? Again, we're not going to do this perfectly, but what is the pattern of my life? Is it just me, 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 a little bit of you so I can feel better about myself and then me some more? Or do I walk in the example of Christ in the greatest form of love, giving myself up for one another? Let's apply this. Guys, we cannot have the word transform the way we think if we are not in the word This, again, like I said at the beginning, this doesn't happen by magic. The Holy Spirit doesn't take control of our bodies like a puppet, and we're just like, oh, righteousness is coming out of me, and I'm not doing anything. We have to walk in self-control, in discipline. Now, that's by the power of the Holy Spirit. We wouldn't be able to do that without his power. But what does your time in God's word look like day in, day out? 
week in, week out. It's really hard to be shaped by something if you're not spending any time with it. So that means on the other side, whatever you are spending the most time with, whatever does take the majority of your time and the majority of your thinking, that is going to shape you more than the word of God will. If we're not in the word day in, day out, being transformed by the renewing of our minds, you will be transformed by whatever else. That will happen. You will be conformed into the image of the world. You will be conformed to the world's patterns. This is not like there's some gray area where I think I can like sneak through. It's an either or. Either you are being conformed to the pattern and the image of the world or you're being transformed and conformed to the image of Christ day in and day out. And then is Christ's life the example I'm looking to? Do I look to Jesus as the example and know encouragingly that I have the power of the Spirit to actually choose righteousness instead of my sin? Or am I just living in kind of comparison, living between pride and really it's just two forms of pride. It's puff my chest pride over here and oh, I'm not good enough pride over here. It's me, 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 monster. Who's seen Brian Regan? Uh, anyway. What is the example that I'm looking to? Is it Christ? It has to be. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much again for your word. Thank you for giving us the power of your Holy Spirit if you have saved us to be able to choose righteousness, to live in the light to live, keeping your commandments and keeping your word, would your word, God, continue to transform the way we think? God, again, I pray for those of us who have not believed in Christ by faith, would you save those in this room who have not believed in you in the finished work of Jesus Christ by faith? And for those of us who have been saved by your grace, by the power of your spirit given new life, would you help us to walk after the example of Jesus to keep your commandments and to love and be transformed by your word. Lord, it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.